Welcome to the Arts Access Florida podcast series, When Freedom Rings. In this six-part series, we speak with our Black and Brown community on what has transpired in the art world since the emancipation of slavery on June 19, 1865. We have open conversations on their experiences as people of color and their contributions to art, community, and education. The series highlights their continued efforts to move the needle forward. This is When Freedom Rings. Welcome to the final episode of the Arts Access Florida video podcast series, When Freedom Rings. Today we speak with Dalia Colon, executive producer and host of the Zest podcast here at WUSF Public Media and producer and host of Arts Plus at WEDU. We speak with her on her journey to her career, the struggles and the wins, and how being a black woman in this industry has had its fair share of difficulty, but also pushed her to be more creative and learn more about herself. So hi, Delia. Hi, Malika. Thank you for being here with us today. You're our final guest for the One Freedom Rings video podcast series. So thank you for being here. I am here. honored. Yes. So would you please just introduce yourself to the audience? Sure. My name is Delia Colon. I'm a multimedia journalist. I live in Riverview with my family. I produce and host the Zest podcast here at WUSF Public Media. I'm also a producer, editor, and co-host of WEDU Arts Plus on Tampa Bay's PBS TV station, and I do a lot of freelance writing and video production. Wow. Lots of... (laughs) You spend a lot of time with the camera and working with it and editing and all of it. You're on all sides, pretty much. I am. Yeah. All sides. So you said you were in magazine journalism before? Is that your major? It was. I know kids are like, what's a magazine? Yeah. I, I would love to know how you went from magazine journalism and in Ohio and made your way to Florida. How, how did that occur? Yep. So I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and my dream was to work for Cleveland Magazine on Euclid Avenue downtown. <laughs> and when I was in college at Ohio University, I got an internship at Cleveland Magazine, and that ended up resulting in a job there. So I was like, okay, well, I'm 21. I achieved my dream. It's time for a new dream. Mm -hmm. And one of my college roommates, who's still one of my best friends to this day, her name is Autumn, she also studied journalism at Ohio University and had gotten a job at what was then the St. Petersburg Times, now Tampa Bay Times. And she said they were starting a new, fun, weekly tabloid-style paper targeting a younger audience called TBT, Tampa Bay Times, and encouraged me to apply for the job. So I got that job. I worked at TBT from 2005 to 2010. Oh, wow. Okay, so what exactly was your role there? It was fun. Yeah. I never want to say this is the best job or the most fun job because I'm always expecting better things in the future, but that was a fun job. So I was an entertainment reporter. I interviewed celebrities. Sometimes a song will come on the radio, um, and I'll say, oh, I remember talking to that person, Pink or India Ari or uh, Patrick Dempsey, McDreamy from Grey's Anatomy, uh, Mandy Moore, all these people. (gasps) Maya Angelou I got to interview, right? So, So that was fun. I got to go to an NFL's NFL players wedding at Disney. We covered that. I got to fly a plane for a story about uh, flight lessons. I got to audition for the Buccaneers cheerleading squad. I didn't make it past the first round. (laughs) But I got to do all kinds of fun stuff. And that really taught me creativity because Mm -hmm. it was our privilege and our responsibility to come up with content every week. 
Wow. That is fun. That does sound fun. It was fun. I yeah. feel like someone needs to make a, a documentary about the TBT days because we got mm-hmm. some, I got some good stories. <laughs> That's cool. So you were doing that and you found yourself somehow here at USF. And now you're the host of the Zest podcast here at WSF Public Media. How did you get to WSF? Okay, I'll try to give you the Cliff's Notes version. Yeah. I was producing a story about a teenage beatboxer, a white girl named Tiffany. We're still friends to this day. Hey, <laughs> Tiffany. And I thought, man, it would be great to have some audio to go with this written piece. Okay. The newspaper offered to send someone from the digital department with me on this story to collect the sound. But I thought, how hard could that be? I want to learn how to do it myself. So I mentioned this to my mentor, Jeff Klinkenberg, who is a longtime beloved reporter at the paper, now retired. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, I know someone at WUSF. And so he introduced me to Susan Giles Wontuck, who introduced me to Bobby O'Brien, who mentored me. We just had lunch a few weeks ago, actually. Mm-hmm. She's still a good friend and role model for me. But I had to be at the newspaper at 10 a.m. So I started coming to WUSF at 7 a.m. And I would do about two and a half hours of training with Bobby. She taught Mm -hmm. me how to record and edit and mix audio. Um, So I was able to do that story about the beatboxer and then continued working at TBT. A few years later, I got a call out of the blue from someone and he said, hello, my name is Scott Finn. We never met, but I'm the news director at WUSF. And people here are saying good things about you. We have an opening for a grant-funded health reporting position. Are you interested? And mm. when you're working at a newspaper, at that time, it was like being on the Titanic. And here comes this life raft called WUSF. I better hop on. Yeah. Now, being a health reporter was not as fun as flying planes and going to NFL weddings and talking to celebrities. Yeah. But it was an opportunity to learn even more digital media, including shooting and editing video. Mm -hmm. So we ended up, I I got that job and ended up collaborating with WEDU on a program called Smart Health, which won an Emmy, I'm proud to say. It's in a box (gasps) somewhere. Congrats. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. And so that's how I ended up at WEDU, where I still work. And then um, WUSF contacted me about a food podcast they were starting, focusing on Florida foodways. They were hoping, I believe they were hoping to become part of a sort of podcast training program on a Mm -hmm. national level. We didn't receive that opportunity, but they were in love with the idea of the food podcast. And so we went ahead with that. Robin Sussingham, who was a longtime anchor and Florida Matters host at WUSF, was the executive producer and host. And I was the producer, mixed the sound, did interviews. When Robin left a few years ago to become the publisher of Edible Tampa Bay, Mm -hmm. the whole thing fell into my lap. And it was during COVID, so that was super scary. Yeah. (laughs) We had to to pivot the way. We had never used Zoom before. We had to pivot the way we were conducting interviews. That's been a blessing in disguise Mm -hmm. because we've been able to interview people outside of our local area. Right. And now I'm the executive producer and host of The Zest. Wow. Wow, what a journey. Can you can you talk a little bit about cuz what I heard mostly was you made good genuine connections with people. 
And that allowed them to remember you and then think of you when opportunities arose. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, I don't I don't know how you can describe that, but that might just be who you are. But, you know. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. There are definitely those soft skills that I did not learn in journalism school Mm -hmm. that I think are important. Because as an interviewer, you know, you have your list of questions. Yeah. But you have to be genuinely interested in someone for it to come off as authentic. And I think that's true in life as well. So if I go to the mailbox and I see my neighbor, I can say, hey, how you doing? Or I can really ask, how are you doing? And my neighbor yesterday told me that her grandmother died Mm. and she wasn't okay. Yeah. You know, and so I think people remember those couple extra seconds that you take to connect with them or um, it's their child's birthday and you ask, how did the party go? Yeah. Little things like that go a long way. Taking the time with people is really important, and you never know what opportunity that could bring you. And you don't do it for opportunities, but it can it can bring some. So you are the executive producer and host of The Zest Podcast. What is your favorite part of that job? Oh, I love all of it. It's not mm-hmm. all easy. I'm not sitting around sampling food and wine all day, actually, yeah. almost never. People probably think you are. Yeah. It's yeah. like those it's like those memes, what my parents think I do, what my friends think I do, what I actually do. And mm-hmm. what I actually do is a lot of staring at sound waves on a computer, editing, mixing sound. But even that's fun to me. Yeah. Yeah. So another piece of advice for young journalists, I guess, would be find the job that you actually enjoy, not mm-hmm. the job that's five percent glamorous and the rest you hate. If you don't enjoy the the drudgery part, then you're probably in the wrong job. Um, But I think food is a window to talking about literally anything to anyone Mm -hmm. because we all eat. So food can open doors to discussions about culture, anthropology, history, race, class, Mm -hmm. religion. I mean, we've, we've done all of those topics. A few weeks ago, I interviewed Dr. Frederick Opie, who's a professor actually in Boston, but he does a lot of research around African foodways and how they relate to the southern table and the table here in Florida. And so he told me about how watermelon and barbecue and different ways of eating come from West Africa and were brought over by enslaved people. We talked about the stereotype of I'm a black girl. I love watermelon, but mm-hmm. is that okay? Yeah, you know, can I shout it from the rooftops? We've we've done interviews with um, Chef Michelle Bernstein, who's a James Beard Award-winning chef in Miami. She's a Jewish Latina, and so mm-hmm. we talked about uh, that intersectionality and how that relates to her cooking. So it can just be a doorway to talk about so many things mm-hmm. and gives us access to really anyone we want to talk to. And I would say. That extends to our real life. So earlier we were talking about how to connect with people in a genuine way. Mm -hmm. Food is the ultimate connector. Yeah. So have you experienced any unexpected challenges while doing this work and being in a place of authority? One challenge is Finding guests, honestly. Mm. You probably can relate to this. Yeah. And, and this isn't specific to being an African-American, but just being a producer. 
it's fun to say, I get to do whatever I want and talk to whoever I want. But then you have to find those people. You have to convince them to go on a podcast that maybe they've never heard of mm-hmm. <laughs> or a TV show that they don't have time for. They thought it was going to be Bay News 9 and take 15 minutes. But at WEDU, we try to do more of a cinematic shooting style, and mm-hmm. it takes hours. So that's a challenge. Um, keeping up with the technology is a challenge. It's great to have YouTube University. We can look things up, learn how to do new things. So those are a couple of the challenges. And then internally, there have been times when I have pitched something where people didn't necessarily believe in the idea. And I'm sure other people have experienced that. But from a racial standpoint, I'll give you an example. When I was a health reporter, I pitched a story about how Black women sometimes don't exercise because we don't want to mess up our hair. Mm-hmm. And you know what I'm talking about. I definitely do. I do. 150%. <laughs> I mean, I went for a run this morning. I don't let it stop me. But I also don't straighten my hair anymore mm-hmm. because this is Florida. The humidity is like a gazillion percent. And there's no point. There is a white standard of beauty mm-hmm. that says you have to have your hair a certain way. Mm-hmm. And for us, it's like taming a lion. It takes a long time and chemicals and heat to get it back into that style. So I pitched that story. They told me this is not a thing. So I did it anyway (laughs) on my own time. Not only was it a thing, but it ended up getting picked up by the Tampa Bay Times. I was on a national radio show talking about it. The story won some awards. And at the time, no one was standing up for me. Mm -hmm. But I had that belief in myself because I had the lived experience. So you are a producer and a host for two different kinds of mediums. So you do it for broadcasting and TV, and you do it for podcasting. What what are some of those differences? Are you able to kind of intersect them? Do they help you do one better? Or is it just completely different? I think the biggest difference is that with TV, I have the visuals. That's Mm -hmm. obvious, but you have to think of every story in a visual way. So there are people who have a good story, but I think what would be the B-roll to that? What would be the other elements besides just your own voice? Mm -hmm. And with audio, with podcasting, it's more intimate. To me, it's the most intimate because Mm -hmm. it's someone's voice in your ear. We typically listen alone in our car in our earbuds while we're washing dishes, maybe in the shower with your Bluetooth speaker. And so it feels more like I'm speaking directly to one person. So broadcast is for a broad audience. Mm. Podcast is kind of like sitting around the campfire all having a chat. Ah, I've never thought of it that way. Huh, that's true. That's really true. So do you think... To, to go off of that answer, do you think that there's certain stories that you find are better suited for a podcast audience versus a broadcast audience? Because people are listening to it on their own. So maybe it's a little easier for them to digest that information, potentially. Ooh, that is a good question. I do think you can get a little bit more wonky and in the weeds on a podcast, and it's also a longer form medium. Mm -hmm. So the stories that I produce for WEDU are about six and a half minutes. Um, That's not a lot of time Mm -hmm. to get in depth with anything. I'll give you an example. We did a shoot yesterday with a quilter named Gwendolyn Aqui 
Brooks, who's based in Wesley Chapel. She's amazing. She has a quilt in this exhibition called Black Pioneers at the James Museum in St. Pete. Mm-hmm. Friday, we went to the James Museum, filmed all the quilts, did a few interviews. We were there probably four or five hours. Yesterday, I went to Gwendolyn's house, interviewed her, took video of her uh, making the quilts. And I don't take the video. I have been trained to do that, but went with a videographer. <laughs> and then I'll edit it all together. We were there maybe three hours. So that's seven or eight hours of video condensed down to six minutes. Wow. There's a lot left on the cutting room floor. Mm -hmm. Whereas a podcast, we may record for 40 minutes and use 30 of those minutes. So you can really go in depth. And I've even heard celebrities and other public figures who have gone on maybe Armchair Expert with Mm -hmm. Dax Shepard Mm -hmm. or one of those longer form uh, smart lists or something. And at the end, they'll always say, this was so much fun. This is the best interview I've ever enjoyed. Right. Because of the longer form of it. So you can get into an issue like the stereotype of black people eating watermelon and fried chicken and how that came about after Reconstruction when blacks were elected to office in their highest numbers to date. And so some of the white politicians began trying to disparage them Mm -hmm. by saying, look at him, he's lazy, he eats watermelon, even though every ethnicity has those stereotypes. Look at the Jewish guy eating a bagel. Look at the Irish guy eating corned beef. That's how that came about, I learned from Dr. Opie. We would not have had time to go that far in depth in an interview that was only a few minutes long. Right. So it gives people an opportunity, and you as the producer and host, to kind of ask more questions and really get an understanding of that person that you're interviewing. Yes. So your work gives you the opportunity to bring messages to the forefront in very creative ways. Um, What are some of the stories you have been the proudest to share or you feel have had the most impact? Ooh, what a great question. Okay, here's one that comes to mind. Back in the day, we used to take turns producing Florida Matters. Everyone in the newsroom would rotate and take a week. My week happened to be Martin Luther King Day. Mm -hmm. It was a complete coincidence, (laughs) but I ran with it. And I asked myself, did MLK ever come to Tampa to speak? It turns out he had one appearance in Tampa, one public appearance at the Fort Homer Hesterly Armory on Howard Avenue, you're, ah, you're, I know I you're like, giving where is me, that? it's, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> it's now the Jewish Community Center. Oh, okay. In okay. South Tampa. Yes. It's this big old, mm-hmm. huge bunker of a building. So I thought, what if we went back there and I brought Clarence Fort, who's a longtime icon of Tampa Bay's civil rights movement, did sit-ins and the whole thing. So I got him and I got Rodney Kite Powell, who's a historian from the Tampa Bay History Center, brought them both in. It's this big, vacant space now. It's not anymore, but it was at the time. And we reminisced about when Dr. King spoke there. Clarence was the only one who was actually there when it happened. Mm -hmm. But to hear him describe, oh, I was just a teenager, and he had on this suit, and he looked so sharp, and the way he spoke... And then you bring in Rodney, who brings the historical uh, documentation to it. Mm -hmm. That turned out really well. I was really proud of that piece. Um, And again, we let it breathe because it was on 
a 30-minute show, and that took up maybe half the show. Wow. So I really enjoyed that one. Um, that was a f- quite a few years ago. More recently, oh, there are so many. Every week, whoever the guest is is my new favorite. Yeah. They really are. <laughs> um, more recently, I did a story for WEDU. So this is TV. You know Tampa Bay has hundreds of art markets, right? Yes. Um, Saturday morning markets, mm-hmm. smaller markets. But people of color had been shut out of a lot of those because you need experience in order to get a seat at that table. And how are you going to get experience if you don't have experience? Mm-hmm. So a woman named Camille Adrian Washington started Indie Noir, as in black, and it's a market for black makers. Yeah. So once a month, they set out their wares. um, And of course, everyone is invited, but they are the stars of the show. Mm -hmm. And so that was just plain fun to attend. And then to be able to shine a light on what they're doing was really cool. And that was a story that did very well online for WEDU. So some of these sort of niche audiences um, are very passionate. And mm-hmm. I think that's something you get, especially with a podcast, because it, who cares if everyone didn't love everything? Everything yeah. isn't for everyone. Yeah. You know, you got your your Joe Rogan fans and you got your Pod Save America fans. Mm-hmm. and Everybody has their space online. That's true. And I love that the the indie market that was niche kind of isn't that niche if it got such a, you know, People were looking for something like that. It's really not. And you go there Mm -hmm. and there are people of all colors, ages. There's bounce houses for the kids. Oh, yeah. It's nice to see different groups of people getting a space to do that, but it bringing all kinds of people to that space. Yes. And I think the arts are a great way Mm -hmm. to do that. I've heard uh, multiple people say this, but most recently Zora Carrier, who's the director of... The Tampa Bay. She was Museum at the fo- photographic. She arts. was at the Florida Museum of Photographic Arts mm-hmm. until recently, and she's okay. now the director of TBBCA, Tampa Bay Businesses for Culture and the Arts. Okay, yes, yes. yes so she's very much in the art space, and she's so passionate when mm-hmm. she speaks. But she was saying how the arts teach us that there's more than one way to solve a problem. Yeah. Arts are problem solving. I've heard this when I've done interviews at Blake High School. Mm-hmm. You know, I've heard many people say this, but it really is true. Arts are about problem solving because there's no one way to paint a picture. Mm-hmm. There's no one way to play a sonata. Yeah. And once you understand that the multiple ways can be right, that translates into other Aspects of life. Of, so, so a Republican can be right and a Democrat can also be right. Mm-hmm. There's, it opens up your mind to different points of view. Yeah, that's very true. That's really important. And I think, I hope, I mean, I hope by having this podcast and the Zest podcast and different art things, people get a little bit of insight into that. Because when you're hearing it, it helps kind of formulate it in your, in your body, in your bones. As a black woman, what have been some of your struggles that you've experienced in your line of work? Some struggles and probably some wins as well. Ooh. The number one struggle is how to speak Mm. for me. Because how black do you really want me to be? (laughs) Yeah. How how far should I take this? How far can we go? Because Mm -hmm. everyone says they want authenticity 
but how far can we actually take this? And I've had this conversation with multiple people. Mm-hmm. I was interviewing Boyzel Hosey, who's the co-founder of the Tampa Bay Collar Green Festival. Mm-hmm. And we did a Zoom interview. It went well. And then when we got off, he texted me and he was like, was that okay? Was I too black? Was I black enough? <laughs> and I'm like, listen, I, I'm right there with you. <laughs> yeah. Which voice should I use? And, and what if it sounds different in part of the interview for, versus another part? So I really mm-hmm. look up to people like Aisha Roscoe from NPR because I feel like if you sat down and had a cup of coffee with her, that would be who she is. Yeah. And that's always my goal. But it's hard. My editor, so I produce the interviews, I find the guests, I conduct and record the interviews, and then I hand off that raw audio to Andrew Lucas, who's our fantastic editor, and then he kicks it back over to me and I mix it all together with the sound and the script and everything. But in the back of my mind, I'm always picturing Andrew sitting right behind me, white guy. Mm-hmm. What's Andrew going to think? Is this is this too black for him? Because yeah. he's a reasonable person. Yeah. <laughs> understand yes yeah or even not just the voice but the subject matter like when dr opie and i were talking about watermelon and fried chicken and then yesterday i had a conversation with dr martha beretta who directs a an african-american museum in the fort myers area Mm -hmm. blanchard house and we talked about you know how thomas jefferson had enslaved chefs and how he was had an intimate relationship with one of his uh, enslaved women. All these things that are like, I grew up hearing this stuff. Yeah. But to other people, it may be breaking news. Mm-hmm. So there's always that line like, yes, we can produce an episode about the indie noir market, but like, how black is too black? Mm-hmm. And I'll give you an example. My best friend's parents own a Chinese restaurant. They're not Chinese, but they own a Chinese restaurant in Ohio. And I used to work there in high school bussing tables. Mm -hmm. So after the dinner service, restaurants call it family meal, and it's when all the employees eat together. Most of the employees were Chinese, and there was a huge difference between what was on the menu for Uh the customers and what they were serving themselves. They were things that may have been too Chinese for the white and black and Hispanic people coming through the door. And so I always have that struggle, too. Like, can we go into family meal territory or do we need to keep it, like, on the menu? (laughs) Yeah. What's the line and how much can people actually handle? I know, but my goal is to not care. Yeah, to not not matter. (laughs) I think that's a great goal to have because there's other people who don't even – they don't even have to think about that. They can just kind of be. And I think that's the common struggle for – Black people, any any people of color or different culture backgrounds, it's can I just be or do I need to be the version that makes other people comfortable? And it's it's a try. I I too am like, well, let me just be myself, and hopefully that's fine. And sometimes myself is different things. You know, we code switch a lot. You know, we change for different people, and that's that's fine. Other people do it, and I don't mind. So what's the difference? Yeah. But we feel this constant need to like check ourselves. I know. It's exhausting. And then the the scariest thing for me is talking to another black person who is completely comfortable being themselves. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm not like you, but I should be. I'm like, okay, but I still have to use my podcast host voice, but then you're using your like, we're just hanging out on the back stoop voice. So I don't know (laughs) what to do. Where should I fall? (laughs) I understand that. It's 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 a challenge. It's a good challenge though. It's something I feel like I can 
figure out. It in is. Time. And of course, you acknowledge that it's not unique to us. Other Mm-mm. groups other groups go through this too, like people who speak Spanglish. How many Spanish words are too many to insert into yeah. a conversation? Or if you're speaking to someone from the LGBTQ community, right. how, how gay can I sound? And that's the stereotype. But, you yeah. know. I guess it goes back to trying to be as authentic to yourself as possible. And I think if, if we, like, remember that when we're, like, overthinking it, that might help make everything seem yeah. okay. Just just being like, it's fine. Just yeah. be yourself. And the <sighs> benefit of a, to do. It's so hard to do. But the benefit of a podcast is you can edit it out later. Mm-hmm. I usually regret the things I didn't say, not the things I did say. Right. Mm, good one. Important. So what have been – well, okay. So we talked about your challenges. What are some of the wins? What are some of the wins you've had? Well, I like to think we've had a lot of wins. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, winning some awards and things like that. Is always nice. The audience is continuing to increase, so I would say that's a win. Mm-hmm. Um, people coming up and saying they like the podcast, that's always great. We were yeah. hosting an event for USF. My husband is um, the chair of the USF Alumni Association, okay. and so we had all these people over our house, and I didn't know most of them, but I introduced myself, and I said, hi, I'm Delia Cologne, and this guy goes, yeah, I know who you are. I never miss an episode of The Zest. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, ah, I love things like you. that. Those are those are wins. Anytime. The cool thing about what I do and what you do is mm-hmm. that it's not news. So if we were talking about right. the midterm elections or the hurricane, if I don't cover that, someone else will. Mm-hmm. But the things that I am bringing to light and to an audience may not ever come to light if I don't produce those stories. And I right. know the same is true for you. So if I have an idea, okay, I'll give you I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. There's an assistant principal in Sarasota at, named Greg Rumpf, and he is a fantastic artist. He has a huge following on Instagram, and he does sketches and paintings of celebrities, movie characters, mm. all sorts of you know, jazz musicians. And it was so much fun to produce a story on him because here he is, you know, being a school administrator, but at night he turns into this artist superhero. Yeah. So people like that deserve some shine. And mm-hmm. I have the I have the power. Yeah. It's come. <laughs> I have to use it for good and not for evil. Yeah. So um and that's not to say we've we have plenty of mainstream folks on the show as well and they deserve it just as much Mm -hmm. um but i'm always cognizant of like who isn't getting a shot or whose story may never be told if i don't tell it awesome so my last question is what advice would you give to anyone who's hoping to work in kind of this entertainment industry or possibly in the journalism world um but are unsure about their voices and if their voice is worth hearing what advice would you give to them First of all, your voice is worth hearing. If people don't believe you, find a home for the story that you're trying to tell. So my practical advice to anyone is get a foot in the door. I worked at Cleveland Magazine for a couple weeks during my winter break, and that led to a job. I spent a few months coming to WUSF in the mornings before my paying job, and that led to a paying job. Mm -hmm. So don't make excuses. Find someone who knows someone who knows someone and ask if you can do any job because one day someone's going to be absent and you're going to get to fill in. You know those stories you hear. Mm -hmm. That actually does happen. 
So that's my practical advice. And then if you're um, specifically thinking of, you know, a, a person of color or a person from another marginalized group, and maybe you do land that first job, but mm-hmm. people don't trust your hunches or your pitches, you're not getting anywhere. I mean, I'm in all these Facebook groups for journalists, women journalists, people of color, people in public media. So find your tribe Mm -hmm. (laughs) who will support you. I mean, we've complained about um, the the news anchor mispronounced my name. Yeah. (laughs) Things like that. Things that other people maybe wouldn't understand. Or this fellowship is up for grabs and I really would love to see it go to a, a young LGBTQ person or a young Native person or whoever it may be. Um, find your tribe because they will support you emotionally, but also in practical ways. They can tell you about internship and job opportunities. Um, you know, it could be a text thread where you all just talk about what happened at work today. Um, I have a group of girlfriends. We're all black women who used to work at the Tampa Bay Times, and we get together mm. a few times a year to have brunch and just kind of talk trash. <laughs> <laughs> I know that. I used to do that, too, with my friends for my old job. Absolutely. But I would say find a home for the stories that you're trying to tell. So when I started in magazine journalism, I remember touring the campus of Ohio University. Mm-hmm. And um, one of my mentors there, Dr. Edith Deschel, my mother asked her, what's the deal with this Internet thing? Like, are people still going to want to read magazines? Love Dr. Deschel to death. But her answer was Incorrect, as time told. She said, oh, yeah, people are always going to want to hold that paper in their hands. And that wasn't true. (laughs) Obviously, everyone's on, like, TikTok now, except me because I'm old. (laughs) But I think of journalism and that type of content like Coca-Cola. You can get it from the tap. You can get it in a glass or a bottle or, a you know, a can. But it's still the same product. And so if they don't want to drink your product where you are, you might need to put it in a different container. So that could mean instead of a magazine, it's a blog. Or you can use your phone to start your own podcast. Um, But there is an audience for those stories. So trust yourself. Yeah. Great advice. Trust yourself and just get in there a little bit. Just try it out. Yeah. It's like double judge. You just got to jump in. Jump in, guys. Well, Delia, thank you for being a part of this episode. Is there anything else you wanted to add? I don't know. This has been so much fun. I, know, I never so fun. never get to talk about this stuff into a microphone. My I goodness. Know. It this is, is fun. like therapy. Yeah, it is. It's a little it's a little counseling for you. Well, thank you very much for being on our episode and I hope you all enjoyed um this series and we'll see you when we're back. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Arts Access Florida podcast series, When Freedom Rings. You can listen to all episodes wherever you stream podcasts or watch all episodes on our YouTube channel. Just search Arts Access Florida. We can't forget to thank our sponsors, Community Foundation Tampa Bay and Gobioff Foundation. This series was created by Malika Hollis and not possible without the help of Adriana Rodriguez and more. This is a product of WUSF Public Media. Copyright 2022, WUSF Public Media.